I will do it. Welcome to the Writer's Strike reunion of Donna and Jacqueline Take Adulting, which I think is the name of our podcast. It is a podcast about how life has no chill and millennials essentially always feel like 13-year-old kids who have no idea what's going on. So if that's you, welcome to the podcast. If it's not you, welcome to the dive into our lives. Yes, that's, that is an apt description. <laughs> yes, indeed. Also, um, yes, the writer's strike. Oh, my God. It's been like a literal motherfucking year since we did this. We did one episode that I actually have now deleted because it was trash. I think we did it in March of this year. But no one needs to hear that. And I'm sorry for even telling you that it existed. You'll never hear it, dear listeners. Maria, I'm sorry. Yeah, y'all really don't want to hear it. It was like a weird energy and we weren't vibing. And if there's anything you guys know we care about, it's the vibe. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're weird as shit and funny. We're funny. And we just weren't that in this episode. And I I feel like it's because it just was not meant to see the light of day. It wasn't meant to be yet. We were still on our writer's strike. Yeah, and like this has been a very eventful year for both of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, March, my my year has been um, my year has been a sine wave, and I was definitely at the bottom. There's another word for that. It's another type of wave. In any case, you know what? I've been taking physics for twenty years, and I don't have to. I became a regulatory person because I can't do math. I just tell people what the people who can do math are going to do. You know, that's that's all right. Not everyone is a mathematician. Um, I yeah, let's do like a let's do. I feel like there's so much that has happened that we won't even encapsulate it all. But like, let's let's do a flyby pickup from where we left off. So the people who are listening who might actually be like, we have five plus Maria in our audience still. (laughs) because I was looking at the analytics because dear listeners if you have been following along you know that I just dropped two episodes in the last couple of weeks here and uh, we actually had people that weren't just Maria listening to it and in fact the most recent episode I spoke to her this morning and it was like hey bitch we're gonna be recording an episode for you this afternoon (laughs) she was like I'm glad you do a whole podcast for me oh shit, I haven't listened to the most recent one yet. And I was like, what? There's five people that have fucking listened to that. <laughs> so hello, everyone it, who is still here. <laughs> and it wasn't me because uh, I get I get performance anxiety and I cannot watch or listen to myself in any type of capacity, performing capacity. I cannot watch myself in recorded presentations. I cannot watch myself in... <laughs> you know, 
a long time ago when we were theater kids in any mm -hmm. type of recorded performance. As That's far fair. as I'm concerned, once it is out and done, it's I done. shall never hear of it again. That's fair. I usually will listen to, like, so obviously I listen to it because I'm editing it. But then when it shows up on um, the platforms that it gets distributed to, so like I upload it to Anchor, it goes to Spotify immediately. I don't listen to Spotify, but I do listen to Google Podcasts. So when it finally, like two days later, shows up on Google Podcasts, I usually listen to check the quality. It, uh, I never did. So one of those five people wasn't me either. There's five new listens that aren't me, you, or Maria. <laughs> hey, look, Ma, we made it. Hi, everyone. Thank you for like still being here after a long ass hiatus. But okay, so with this being a hiatus, I do know what we talked about in the most recent episode because I had to edit it. So like, just to recap where the fuck our lives were back in December of 2021, um, I was still working my part time gig and I was in the midst of the burnout that caused me to be incapable of editing episodes. Um, so that was happening. Um, I was also bitching a lot about the lack of gingerbread lattes, which is still true this year. They just dropped their Starbucks Christmas drinks this week and gingerbread has not returned yet and probably never will, motherfuckers. Um, <laughs> and you, Donna, had just received your ADHD um, diagnosis and you were on the drugs. <laughs> I'm still on the drugs. The drugs are great. Uh <laughs> That's a nice sound clip that can be taken out of context. Uh, Vyvanse has been a absolute game changer. But mm -hmm. now that I am almost 12 months into this, this new regimen, I can also give some feedback on how I've lost some of my coping mechanisms and uh, how some of what I always thought were intrinsic parts of my personality have actually uh, disappeared because they were a way for me to manage my life. They weren't a thing that was a part of me whoa fuck fuck dude that's wild to me um so interesting so interesting okay I want to get into that I also want to just like do the flyby like what is in our lives right now yes update. yes you have to you did the first update on your life so you have to do the first like um montage okay <laughs> so la 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 the flyby through um so i then just like blanked holy shit so okay the thing that caused <laughs> my burnout I was in it and I was like I was doing more work than I possibly should have been for a part-time job and it was actually like killing my processes so like I would at the end of the day like stare at the wall for an hour I would just go into complete shutdown mode because my brain was like, okay, we're I, all of the bandwidth is done. So I was in severe, severe burnout. I stepped away finally from that situation in, I want to say April was like the first of April was when I was like, motherfuckers, goodbye. Um, and it, it coincidentally, uh, the person who was working uh, as sort of my manager, not my boss, but like was kind of my point person and was trying to shield me from some of a lot of the bullshit that was going down uh was leaving and so her departure made it okay for me to make a departure and I left and it took me 
literally seven months out of that situation to finally have the capacity to touch the podcast again. Um, and so, yeah, it was like the burnout took seven months of recovery. Um, it was only, I want to say it was six months. It was a six month situation because it started in October and then led till April. So that's like six months, isn't it? I'm not going to do the math, but whatever. Like, I, you know what? Like we round. Okay, whatever. So it was six months. Less and then than a month- year, more than a month. It's six months. Okay. It was six months plus another month of burnout recovery before I was like fully functional again. Um, but in this time, I started doing contract ad work for a marketing agency. I haven't done a lot, but like I'd like to do more. Um, as And then I'm running social media for actually the clinic that I do my hypnosis at. So that's kind of fun. And I started felting fucking professionally, bitch. I am selling my needle felted characters. I did a uh, convention. I was at OdaFest, uh, the local anime convention. A friend of mine who crochets, her and I had a joint table and I sold shit there and it was really good. And then I opened my online store in June and it's full of little needle felted Pokemon and people commissioned me. I've got a list of commissions that's going to take me into December. So I'm like, I'm actually successfully a needle felt artist and it's delightful and amazing and something I never had conceived of of for myself oh also and the other side thing we're going to get into this at some point because I have shit to talk about about academia I am in the process of now doing my degree my psychology degree online very very slowly through an online university and it's uh I got I got shit to say about academia but I'm also doing that so like here we are there's my whirlwind update (laughs) (laughs) all right uh yeah so when we last left off I had been diagnosed with ADHD I think I was actually Mm -hmm. still stepping up my medication at the time so now I'm currently on a regimen of 50 milligrams of Vyvanse a day Mm -hmm. and uh I can choose on weekends or days where I don't need to focus to just not take it and it's kind of the gentlest of the stimulants and uh it's really really helped with me being able to distinguish between when I don't understand something so I'm going down a rabbit hole because I'm just trying to piece together versus when uh I just don't want to do something so I go down a rabbit hole because then at least I'm not doing the thing I don't want to do it was so this coincided because the universe has no chill it's been a really raucous year in terms of my social circle in terms of my job uh had a lot of fun firsts at my job I don't want to say anything too specific because then you'll be able to track me down and um you know all of that fun stuff but uh I, I am in regulatory, I'm a permitter, I'm helping to set some of the framework and permitting standards for clean fuels and uh, had a lot of first, had a lot of, uh, met with the regulator and said, well, you know, you've never contemplated this because this is an oil and gas law, but from my reading, this is what we're going to do. And they're like, cool, thanks for doing that. We agree. Uh, <laughs> And that coincided with uh, my social circle. And I, I, I 
take full culpability as well because I was an instigator as well into kind of one part of my friend group no longer really being friends to cohesive whole and stepping back from that situation I'm able to kind of piece together a where I was lashing out and where I was unhappy and then b what I don't want from my general social circle and stepping back into a place where I've got my, my Jacqueline's, my Maria's, the people that, you know, are my ride or dies. And yes. uh, yeah, Jacqueline, we, we're going to have to do something really weird for us to never talk to each other again. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I also started cognitive behavioral therapy to address a, like the coping mechanisms I had from ADHD that were starting to slip away. And then just, I didn't really feel like I was managing well. I was very reactive, very pushing back, very, even though I'm a strategic person, I was emotionally just like a, let's find out today. So I've, I am about to finish up. So it's a 24 week program. So I think in January, I'll be finishing being fantastic in terms of learning how to parse out my emotions and uh, set boundaries and, and and step back from I often am the person who will take on everybody's damn duties mm-hmm. and uh, still a work in progress but I feel like I have a lot more tools than I did in December of last year and the, the biggest kind of most material news is I just began my two-week notice period at my current company and I will be moving to a new role, uh, more in the, the resources side than where I am now with kind of services and midstream, which for people in the oil industry or people outside of the oil industry is the conveyance storage processing part. Uh, so I'm moving on up to a deluxe apartment in the sky, uh, (laughs) having gone from a senior advisor in my current company to now I'm a senior manager and I'll be building my own team, which is a really, really exciting opportunity. And because we are a very small sub of an Australian owned company, I get to help establish the company culture. And I've never felt so able to Mm. define a healthy culture and have the tools personally and professionally to help build a place where people are people feel every day like they can succeed and like that their success is integral to the company's success so I'm super excited about this opportunity no shit that's so cool like so fucking cool like especially yeah the fact that you are part of the establishment of the corporate culture like that is such a neat position to be in (laughs) so I am delighted for you as you know you already know but like again fucking excited (laughs) thank you yeah so it has been a a hell of a year for both of us true and uh we had a a week or a uh a day about a month and a half two months ago where we were driving around (laughs) and uh talking about how the universe has no chill and it feels like in between that day and the day and today, again, like the universe has no chill. And if you look at the larger events going on in the world, 
It has no everybody chill. says. Yeah, it has no chill and uh, the writing is lazy and no one would ever believe it. <laughs> yeah, no shit, eh? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, the writing the writing is uh it's a little lazy, but that's okay. <laughs> but yes, all right, so there you go. That is kind of the flyby. We lived an entire year of our lives <laughs> since we last recorded a fucking podcast. The dum dum. Yep. But I think we came out better for it. Yes. When you think about yes. where we were last year, regardless of the pandemic and kind of the larger machinations at force, I would say both of us are in a more positive space. Well, yeah, especially because I'm out of the situation that was causing burnout. <laughs> yes, that is like probably... Now, saying that that's the most monumental change does downplay it quite a lot. But like, man, man, I'm so glad that I am out of that space because it was so not good. And I have many feelings that I don't know if I'm going to unpack on on the podcast because it is not as fresh as it was, you know, seven months ago. But uh, I have I probably have some shit to say. And I'm probably, I'm never going to name names, but like, I think I'm out of the libel period. Well, that's how I feel because I, I definitely have thoughts and feelings about my, my present employer. And, uh, you know, I had a very lengthy pros and cons list when I decided to leave Mm -hmm. and, uh, probably not going to put it out in the public sphere because a, I don't know where my employment contract is. I think it's somewhere in my email inbox. I'm not that fussy, but uh, B, <laughs> it, it, you know, you you don't put your dirty laundry out to air. The air, the laundry you put out to air, it has already been through the washer, and uh, <laughs> anyone looking over your fence is just going to see the chonies. They aren't going to see what made them dirty. <laughs> fair, fair. I mean, like, I just, I mostly have things to talk about, about corporate culture at large. It's, is what it comes down to, because my grievances are not unique to the situation I was in, unfortunately. And so, yes, I have a lot of, I have a lot of shit to say about that and about ableism. I'm delighted to have a conversation at a macro level about corporate culture. Yes, yes. Because, yeah, there's there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. Well, no, like I, I um, prior to my current role that I am exiting, I was a consultant and I was often parachuted into companies and just given a monumental task to do and then parachuted out. So I saw the worst (laughs) of the worst in terms of corporate culture or in terms of toxicity, because they often put me into roles where I came in for a period of time because they couldn't get anybody to stay in the role for the like six weeks that they needed to do the project. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, and it's been good and it's been bad. Like one of my longest secondments was to a very large oil and gas firm in Calgary. And it was fantastic. Made some great connections learned a lot about the industry 
And then I can think of things where I was parachuted in for about four weeks and uh, couldn't bolt out quick enough. <laughs> Fair. Fair. Um, as you know, my experience is uh, with arts, with arts companies and nonprofits, but specifically nonprofit arts companies and the cult- corporate culture there, which is different in a lot of ways, but also the same, I think, as larger, more for-profit companies. Um, there's a lot of claims about values that a company might possess. And when it comes to walking the talk, they just don't at all. And like, it's, for me, it's a lot more jarring when that happens in relation to an arts company, because in your brain, like you think, oh, the arts progressive, right? Um, They're not. And there's, I think this thing happens where you get a lot of like former theater kids who are so used to busting their ass for a production, right? Like being on stage, putting a show up, there's a lot of like, quote unquote, sacrifice that you must make to like and it there's this like you you oh what did Mr. Job used to say you suffer for your art right so you you there's this culture and mindset in a lot of the administrative staff because they come from a world where that's what they were doing didn't make it as an actor (laughs) per se and now they are in administration because this is the they believe in the arts and they want to forward, you know, they want, this is the, this is theirs. This is their industry. And so there's this mentality that you're meant to bleed for it. Um, and a lot of the times that gets taken advantage of really, really hard by the arts organizations because a, the higher ups have this mentality of like, well, that's just what you do. And B, as an arts company, you're not taken necessarily serious, seriously in the larger picture because, oh, whatever, it's the arts. So they actually believe their staff to the bone in a way that a lot of corporate for-profit companies, I don't think, can get away with. Um, but it's, and then it's just like, well, no, you need to, this is what it is to be working in the arts. Why aren't you on call 24-7? kind of a deal um and I saw this when (laughs) back in the day and I will name that I saw this when I worked in the opera but I was much more able because I was younger to do this and I just kind of thought that's what it was but also at the opera the people there were so genuinely good and so kind that it like it felt like a family and it I wanted to be there because I was also getting this beautiful social experience from it um there was one person who would always be like no they set their boundaries really hard and would always like not put in the overtime with the rest of us and I was always like I think all of us were very judgy towards that person but now after having this other experience I'm like oh my god they were right holy shit I have such immense respect for them for saying like no this is this is my capacity for my fucking job and I'm not going to do the overtime because it isn't something that's in my job description and like what compensation like you just are taking advantage of me and they wouldn't do it 
And so bless them. I have immense respect. Didn't at the time. And I feel kind of like an asshole <laughs> because of it. I, I know the person you're talking about. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, you know, there's a lot of other downfalls. So, you know, the boundaries are a positive, but. I mean, mm-hmm. there was some execution sometimes where I had to call them on it. Um, that was like less than great. But. And now I know what that person is doing. And I know that they're still setting very strong boundaries within the organization that they now work for. And like, I think, I don't know, I haven't worked directly with them since, but I assume there's a little bit more finesse around it. But yeah, mad respect for the fact that they can do that and don't get fucking jerked around by the industry because the industry is like, let me fuck you up. let me bleed you dry it is it is a machine the arts industry is a goddamn machine that will suck you dry to the bone and spit you out and does not care like it doesn't especially when you're on a lower level um uh, and like the higher-ups can have and do often exercise the freedom to not be on call 24 7 and not bleed the way that they expect their of um, more junior employees to bleed and then they don't compensate them and they will often use workarounds like oh but you weren't exactly qualified for the role that you were doing that you have been doing for the last six months so we're still not going to like treat you fairly it's it's it is a machine and it's evil <laughs> and I think that's true of of the entertainment industry in general, but I think it also in places like our, like Calgary, where, yeah, there's a movie industry, but it's, it's in extras and backgrounds and people don't come here to, with stars in their eyes to wait tables while they wait for their big break. But there are people who have the stars in their eyes and they believe in whatever aspect of the industry they want to work for. And that is taken advantage of because stars in their eyes is cool. That's a boundary I can violate. Yeah, it is. It really is. And it happens. Fucked up, man. And yeah, going back to like values that you say that like you're inclusive and you, you know, something, something about opportunities and then that's all well and good until employees start saying, okay, I have these needs. I, I have, in my case, it was a processing issue that makes it very, very hard. And we talked about this on the podcast. It makes it hard to um, leave the house <laughs> in, in an inordinate amount of time. Um, it, like I, it feels like there's knives in my brain every morning and I asked for a work from home accommodation and this is in the letters in in the message from the therapist that signed off on it it's it's clear it's a processing issue due to trauma and it I think the only reason that they gave me accommodations is because it did say complex post-traumatic stress disorder and they knew what the fuck PTSD is and they then turn the tables and they're like you can't do the job that you were doing from home we're going to change your role so we can ensure that you're outputting more and we're satisfied that you're not like just sitting with your thumb up your ass while you're at home and so 
give the person who has a declared processing issue much more work and like where she has to jump through hoops she has to like be looking uh, yeah it like I was in a really like call centery job where I didn't have to have output in the way that they then required me to have output because it hurts my brain and it actively hurts my brain and I didn't realize until this was happening that like oh god this is why I stepped away from work like this and I need a situation where like with the call center I'm it's it's an interaction I'm I can set it down the moment that's done but I couldn't because now I'm I've got all of these tasks that my brain now is like okay well we have all of these things to do. So I'm like anticipating these and like my time off the clock, I'm still in it. And I can't like, it just takes all of my fucking ability away. Like my capacity is in that. And it's a part-time fucking gig, but it was like, okay, let's, do you have processing issues? Give that bitch more work. It's so, and then I watched folks who had more neurodivergency and asked for accommodations were denied. And so it's the ableism is well and alive within the industry as well. It's we can claim one thing, but we don't we don't actually work with the capacity that our, our people show up with. It is a um, it is a wild thing that uh, have a lot of feelings and anger around still. I think it's something a lot of companies try to talk a good game around. Like we have. And it's one of those things I also have feelings on when you start a meeting and someone's like, oh, does somebody have a safety moment? Uh-huh. Okay. If you want a safety moment at the beginning of your meeting, ask one specifically, give them a day to prepare, make sure it's relevant to the project you're working on. Because otherwise it's usually like, did you all change your winter tires? <laughs> Jesus. And uh when you are given a day or so to prepare, you have time to think and make something meaningful, relate it back to why you're in the meeting and uh, and have that be purposeful. And similarly, so what they've done now is, does anybody have a safety or a diversity, equity, and inclusion moment? So I did a diversity, equity, and inclusion moment the week of September 30th, which is Orange Shirt Day in Canada. And Orange Shirt Day is a day of remembrance for children who were indigenous children who were sent to residential schools and either came back or didn't and the purpose is to to honor these children's lives and to understand that the indignity and the uh forced apartheid that was residential schools so because my my education and background is in indigenous affairs i gave a like three slide rundown of well okay so trees were are with the the british crown uh the nature of indigenous occupancy of the land is under the royal proclamation like this this is the framework and context for how treaty lands were obtained and settled in Canada and this is the, the the treaty between the crown and the nations it is not between the federal government of Canada and the nations and even today we need to be treating these 
each Indigenous nation as a sovereign nation on a nation-to-nation basis. And then I, you know, I did have my last slide that was probably a little glurgy, but it did talk about why September 30th was important and what Orange Shirt Day was. I got several commendations afterward, like, wow, that's the first meaningful DE&I moment we've had. And I'm like, then why do we do them? Right? Why do we do them? <laughs> what the fuck? That's ridiculous. God damn it. Yeah. So I, I feel a lot of times companies want to put a Band-Aid on something and they want to say, this is what we're doing. And especially now when environment, sustainability and governance reporting is a key metric. And we saw it this year with, uh, with Suncor when the CEO had to step down after a fatality at one of the, the oil sand sites because of the actions of an activist investor. So mm. companies are obviously thinking about the bottom line and <laughs> activist investing is becoming much more common, but there's no link between how do we talk how do we talk the environment sustainability governance talk and then walk the environment sustainability governance walk? Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, <laughs> my my brain immediately jumps to fuck capitalism <laughs> because of course it does. Because uh, yeah, it's it is honestly it's profit over people over environment, and I am not. I am not shy to say that I'm a motherfucking socialist. You just broke up, so maybe repeat your last sentence. I am not shy to say that I am a motherfucking socialist. Because fuck this. I mean, when you think about it, socialism is essentially what we had in your imagining of 1950s America. Like, companies had a 90% tax tax rate and people who graduated high school could get a job and raise a family on single income because the means of production weren't necessarily owned by them, but the profits of said production were. Yep. Yeah. I I think that people get their arms up over the term socialism. Like, yeah, fine. Let's come up with a different term, but uh, there shouldn't be the income inequality that we see. No, everybody is working their ass off right now, and it, I often hear the "Oh, you know, young kids don't want to work, millennials don't want to work." And I'm like, I'm 37 years old. I'm not exactly a young kid anymore, guys. No, and I'm a very lucky and fortunate millennial who happened to work her ass off, and and I lucked into being in the right places at the right time in order to facilitate further movement. I'm still not a one percenter, I never will be, but I am a millennial who owns a condo. Yeah. Which is like the goal now. Right? Well and like yeah, same. We I am and I am very privileged in that I can afford to kind of I don't know how to phrase this um my husband is the primary income breadwinner and uh it gives me a little bit of freedom to 
do things like the needle felting, which, you know, is bringing in money, but it's maybe not as much money as I would need if I was on my own. Right. And so, and we are homeowners too. And a lot of our generation aren't, it's, we are definitely, we will never be 1%, but we are definitely on the fortunate side of that. But like, I, I see it and I'm, I'm frustrated. Like my peers should not be fucking struggling the way that they are. Like it just because we we are in this privileged situation does not mean that we are not also concerned about the state of the world. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm very cognizant of my privilege, and mm-hmm. I also know that I'm a late thirties white woman, and there is privilege yep. that I hold that I don't even know about. And yes. when I am confronted Same. with it, I need to accept it. Yeah. Yeah. Same. <laughs> the state of profit over people, profit over the environment, profit over honestly sustainability in all the other aspects except for profit. <laughs> like, and, uh, uh, my brain goes, burn it down, bitch. <laughs> well, I'm I'm one of those people, so I'm uh, I don't know. Am I a useful idiot for capitalism? Because. <laughs> I am a regulatory environment professional and I'm an impact assessment practitioner by trade. So my job by and large of the last 15 years has been large scale projects of such a size and nature that they have to go either through the provincial or federal government to be assessed as to whether or not they can even proceed because they're in the public interest before they even go for their permits. So you know, I, 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 I enjoy the work. Yes. Now that I'm moving more into the, 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 the primary industry side and I have a lot more control, one of the things I think about and one of the things that, that really came up now that we have the, um, I say the new Federal Impact Assessment Act, but it's been in place for three years. And one of the key components is what they call gender-based analysis, which anywhere else in the world is usually called vulnerable people's assessment. And this never used to be a thing that you assessed. Usually when you did the socioeconomics, you just looked at like, if we do the project, this is how much money comes into the community. If you don't do the project, this is how much money wouldn't be provided to the community. Whereas now your GBA plus which is what we call it because, man, if you want to make oil and gas and big resource companies mad, call it gender-based analysis. Uh, <laughs> but it looks at things like, okay, if we have to displace people, where are those people going? If you are building a big project near a town, but it's camp-based, okay, so what happens to that town? What actually happens because a lot of times an increase in transient workers increases sexual violence in the community. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't something that was always assessed. A lot of times your socioeconomics were really just, oh, you know, like there's going to be some increased traffic during construction, but this is how much money is going to be in the community. So everybody wants it, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, that more fulsome assessment is needed. And the other thing that has come out is initially with the Impact Assessment Act in 2019, they have what's called the Strategic Assessment of Climate Change. And so you, as a proponent, have to assess not only the emissions from your projects, the GHG, um, 
deleterious emissions that could contribute to climate change or contribute to uh, the deposition, which changes things like your acid rain, that type of um, consequence. Mm -hmm. But you also have to assess the upstream. So if you are taking raw materials that are extracted, like oil and gas, that has to be accounted for. And then that has to further be accounted for in your net zero by 2050 plan. Mm -hmm. And then this year, they just released the draft guidance for best in class. Uh, and so this is, again, for oil and gas projects, but it's now saying, if you want to do your project, you have to show that it is the best technically and economically available technology to reduce emissions, to reduce consequences. And there's a lot of pushback or back and forth in industry that says this is going to kill investment in Canada. But then you think about it and you say, well, does it kill investment in Canada or does it increase investment in Canada? Because with your activist investors, companies have to go above and beyond and prove, mm -hmm. prove up like this, this is a credible net zero by 2050 plan. Whereas right. if you're doing this overseas, and I think the other thing people don't realize is that a lot of countries that we would think of as corrupt or um, a free for all for industry, they also have to do impact assessments and they are to the standards of the International Finance Group or International Finance Committee. So a lot of these developing nations just use the IFC standards. And if they have to do that anyway, is it not cheaper and more socially acceptable? And I don't know if it's cheaper, but actually more feasible to do this in Canada where there is a large educated population and whether you have to jump through this hoop. And then once you tell the feds, yes, I commit to doing this, if you don't do it, they will right. come for you. Uh-huh, yeah. So I'm, maybe I'm a useful idiot. <laughs> and this was something that I thought about because my current job, I'm very much an energy transition. The job I'm moving to is resource extraction, but there's a lot of opportunity to green up and also to contribute to that GBA plus. And kind of what, what my final decision was is if I'm not the one here providing the guiding hand, somebody else will be. Right, yeah. Do they give as much of a shit as I do? Absolutely. Like, and it, I mean, I don't think that we're going to burn down this current system and maybe we will, but I don't, foresee that so like the change does the change need to come from within I think so and I would say we're in a bit of the knee of the curve right now where technology is changing so fast and societal expectations and standards are changing so fast so even if you think about seven years ago 2015 in this province mm -hmm the attitude was very different mm -hmm. and the sense was very different. And so as part of my job, I track a lot of policy and regulatory changes. And I can tell you from my, uh, my monitoring and my discussions from, with other peers in the industry, I have never in my life seen so many conservative oil and gas companies terrified of what happens if we have another UCP government because Whoa. a lot of 
production companies are banking on things like carbon credits and uh, the, the economic incentives around renewable natural gas, around wind and solar power, around pumped hydro. Like there's a lot of policy and decarbonization incentives that uh, could be impacted, which mm -hmm. then really impacts the bottom line of a lot of what companies have poured money into over the last two years. Fascinating. I'm so removed from this world that like, damn, that's interesting. Yeah, I think this is kind of the interesting aspect of our podcast where <laughs> when you, when either of us ever tells other people what our best friends do, they're like, how do you guys know each other? <laughs> yeah, that's fair, right? That's very true. It's um, the path of our lives have diverged <laughs> in such such pronounced ways. <laughs> I, I mean, end of the day, we met in we met in high, high school, school, technically in math class, but yeah. uh, we became <laughs> friends in drama society. Yes, mm -hmm. and. We're both creative. Jacqueline is more of a performer. I am more of a director, writer. Yeah. You, yeah. I, I think that's accurate. And I'm in the business of my job is to write a story about what a project is going to be. And, Ooh. and not only what it's going to be when it starts, but what it's going to be when it ends. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people wind up in regulatory because they're really strong writers and they like writing mm -hmm. and uh, they don't want to do technical writing. So they just wind up in this path. And yeah. uh, like I write, I track my words. I think I'm at about 120,000 words this year in terms of applications. <laughs> I, write wow. a, I write a twilight book a year. <laughs> in applications. Damn, girl. Yeah. So look at my life. Look at my choices. This is a complete departure. And I apologize, but it just popped into my brain. And this could be my undiagnosed ADHD. But I remember <laughs> you saying something about buying an embroidery kit. Did you ever do that? I did. And it's still sitting in a drawer. I can see the drawer it's sitting in. Uh, <laughs> I will say another reason that I'm moving to my new company is because uh, I have been eaten a lot. My time has been eaten alive. Yeah. My former manager, who I've talked about a bit on the podcast, he left the company sometime earlier this year. Honestly, I can't remember. Sometime in the last six months. Mm -hmm. And they have not replaced him yet. And because... Mm -hmm. I have been there the longest of the people who were doing the operational environment and regulatory work. I'm kind of doing his job in addition to mine. Oh my God. So uh, everything gets, pretty much everything gets done off the side of my desk. And there are a lot of things. I have to put together my transition document tomorrow and my new boss when I took him through my project list and the things I was doing list, he, he looked freaked out. He was in front of freaked out. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. 
yeah, um, it would be good for you to have a little bit more time and space for like you. I mean, I'm not saying time to embroider. I'm just saying, you know, for you. I, I mean, I've, I've read a lot more this year than I have in the past. And yeah. uh, I am midway through because I keep having to take breaks from in, in Jeanette McCurdy's memoir, I'm Glad My Mom Died. Yes. And the weird thing is, is so, you know, for a little light vacation reading, because I'm like yeah. this. I, when we were in Seattle, I read Road to Jonestown. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm Glad My Mom Died is a harder emotional read for me than Road to Jonestown. You know, I can't, I think, I think I get it though. I think I get it because Jonestown is awful, but it's not as emotionally relatable as I'm glad my mom died might be. Well, you see, I feel the two almost go hand in hand in a strange way. I definitely see aspects of my personality in Jeanette McCurdy, mm-hmm. um, who, like, I I know from the cover photo, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've seen an episode or two of iCarly, but it's definitely not my demographic. Like, it's long after the time I would have ever watched a Nickelodeon show. Oh, she came from iCarly? Yes. Oh, interesting. All right. I never watched it, but, like, I know what it is. Okay. Okay, that puts her into context. I have Donna and I have been talking about this book, and I keep saying I don't know who the fuck she is, but she did come up, and I was like, I'm interested in the title of this book, so I knew I was going to eventually get the audiobook. Um, anyway, proceed. Thank you. I'm glad that I'm able to place her. New problemo. <laughs> I and I and I think also like maybe for us as theater kids and a bit of um, kind of being often cast as the emotional support to people by various people in our lives mm-hmm. I relate to her a lot it Fair. now that it's moving more into the adult sphere I'm finding myself less uh like I still relate but I'm like okay yeah I can put it I can definitely put a wall between this and then what she talked about as a kid and uh but yeah, I have to take breaks from it. In the way where I wrote to Jonestown, I just raced through it. I read it over, well, like a, the course of a week. That included, you know, five days in Seattle where I didn't read much. I just read it on the plane, read it on the way home, and then binged it once I got home. But then you see it and you think about things like Jonestown. So I mentioned this to you in text. Jim mm-hmm. Jones uh, was a civil rights activist. He was integral to the integration of Indianapolis and worked for the city of San Francisco as part of People's Temple and was one of the, the early integrated churches in America. And, uh, but he had his delusions of grandeur uh-huh. and the people who left before the Jonestown massacre speak a lot about their admiration they speak about the environments they came from a lot of these people who were loyal to the end had nowhere else to go or had never had felt a sense of community or belonging before and they followed him some followed him all the way from indianapolis 
to California to Guyana. Mm -hmm. And you can see, maybe not in this, like, obviously child stardom is its own unique animal, mm -hmm. but uh, it is really easy reading that book and reading about the accomplishments of the People's Temple from Indianapolis to San Francisco to Guyana and thinking, yeah, I can totally see why people went with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and understanding that vulnerability and that sense of no one else understanding you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we've kind of alluded to it and talked about it a little bit, but like in our twenties, there was someone who ran our little paranormal society who had he been just a modicum better at being charismatic could have been a cult leader yeah but like not even one you'd see on prime like he's not even a nexium like i know but like i mean that's what he wanted though and that's what he tried to accomplish with us and had he been better at it i think that like we would have followed him because we followed him for a long time yeah and I think it's a that sense of belonging with the people mm -hmm. immediately, like the people who are your peers. Yeah. And then no one ever talks about, well, I talked about it. And then it was a point of contention or friendship as a group for a while. But like yeah. everyone's trying to realize that like Mr. Leader is bullshit. Yeah. Uh, very easy to then feel like, well, I guess there is nowhere to go because, well, not nowhere to go, but I guess this is done. Either we all fall in line or um, go find new friends, which as a socially awkward person who was really, like I, we graduated or I graduated university the year of the economic downturn. So I really struggled to find and keep a job that afforded me the emotional outlet that that group did. And yeah. even now, um, I would say now I have a group of peers that I actually do think of as personal friends that I will remain in touch with. And mm -hmm. I lost that from my last company because my departure was about a year before the pandemic lockdown started. Right. And uh, that, that really impacted the ability to stay in touch because it's one thing to meet up for a coffee with an old colleague versus do you want to Skype from Skype and talk about how shitty the world is? That makes sense. But yeah, no, that sense of belonging, especially from, yeah, being awkward humans. Um, and like the, the missing key here is like trauma, 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 bitch. Like the, <laughs> when you have people who, are struggling with belonging and it actually roots back into trauma of some degree and it always goes back to childhood and you know I could get into it as I do many many times on this fucking podcast this is that's where that comes from and if you haven't addressed that you become deeply susceptible to manipulation in that way and the sense of belonging if you didn't have that growing up it's so real. The need is real. It's it's it is an essential and fundamental need to belong. And so if some if you don't have that and some 
fuckhead comes along and can fulfill that need in some janky ass way and it was a janky ass way in our 20s but it still is more than you had prior to that moment and so it's it's yeah i see why jonestown is what it was what it was i guess is what i am saying yeah. Yeah. you know from my high level summary of road to jonestown highly yes. recommended if you guys uh really want to be bummed out Ooh. for sure um but yeah no it, it like it there's a fundamental need for belonging and uh we're not i don't know if we're not taught yeah we're not taught how to address that we're not taught how to address like a lot of things um like emotions um I I find it, this is a weird I'm probably going to depart on this note but like here's I have spent so much of the last fucking week screaming about why won't our parents just go to therapy <laughs> it's just it's so frustrating to me that like we we it's obviously a blind spot and I guess you know as someone who goes to therapy and is you know I don't want to say taking responsibility because that seems like a callous dick ass way to phrase it. But like I am, you know, teaching myself where the blind spots were from not being taught that it's just, it's so frustrating. It's like, I wouldn't have to do this. if You motherfuckers would sort your shit out. You know, does that make sense? I think so. And I, and coming back to the capitalism discussion a lot of it comes down Mm -hmm. to the opportunities that were afforded so even so you know our parents minor boomers I think yours are boomers yes 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 are they I don't know um 60 1960 my mother's the youngest she was 1960 I wouldn't say that's baby boom that's a that's latter day boomers actually I looked this up recently I don't know if it is actually I think I checked when Gen X is. Gen X, and it wasn't the 60s. Um, My partner is a Gen Xer, so. Right, yeah. But, like, I just recently saw people talking about Gen X uh, are the parents of the millennials. And I was like, that can't be right. But we're also elder millennials. Um, Born between the mid-1960s to early 80s is Gen X. So then boomers. (laughs) Because we have the Google and we can do that here. Uh, what age range is a boomer? 1946 to 1964. So yes, they would be classified as boomers. Okay. Yeah. And they, they you know, obviously they had opportunities, economic opportunities that our generation hasn't really had, that Gen X hasn't really had. Um Mm-hmm. able to buy a house on a single income all of that shit and so they don't need introspection because really they've never really had a lot of the suffering where they have to sit and think oh shit what's wrong with me right yeah and you see it now uh like there's a lot of young men who 
vouch for the trad fam lifestyle, like a wife at home taking care of men, blah, blah, blah. But then you, but then there's the poison pill where it's also, and she works full time and takes care of me. So essentially she's a bang maid and, you know, <laughs> but it also, like, them stems a lot from that loneliness. A lot of these guys aren't radicalized by the, the other men in their life. They're radicalized by people on the internet because that is the most pleasant yep. force in their lives. You yeah. don't hear a lot of like terrorist cells, incels who hang out together. It all happens on the internet because there is no nothing else meaningful. Mm. And I'm not like, I like the internet. And (laughs) yes, there there are good things about the internet. Yeah, but but we're all seeing an increase in isolation because it's so easy to be inside your echo chamber, and yes, and then that just rattles you further down into whatever you were already thinking, rather than being challenged, and it's something like probably a reason Facebook no longer sells their data which Uh they were told in 2014 this this is sort of related to Cambridge Analytica but Facebook no longer sells their data and part of that reason is likely because Facebook has so many data points and it's mined so deep on every single user that Mm -hmm. they can target the ads in a way that they weren't able to in 2014. Yeah, absolutely. They can. It's so wild. And and now, because of that, there is no opposing view. Everything is an algorithm. And I notice this scrolling through Instagram since, I don't know, every third post I see on Instagram is an ad or selected for me, which is fine because I use Instagram to learn about lingerie sales and look at animal pictures. Right, yeah. <laughs> but it would be a lot more insidious if I posted about political content or um, anything more personal of that nature. Right. And we talked, we've talked about, you know, the TikTok silo as well. Like TikTok is even better than Facebook and meta, I guess, because Instagram's in there too. Um, TikTok is that algorithm is so precise and so niche down that like, bitch, they have your number. <laughs> like it's, um, and so if you are kind of being radicalized, that that's yeah, that is uh, TikTok will eat you alive because you won't ever see the other side of TikTok where, um, there's different viewpoints because that is the viewpoint that you interact with and that's it, and it niches you down so precisely. Like it has, I get trauma content all day long that is so specific (laughs) and so very much my own niche and my own like developmental trauma or like yeah it's just it's so wildly good at what it does and it it is it is connected people so like ADHD TikTok for example um that has become this really good community where like you're learning so much shit about how to like function and just it but at the same time these little silos 
put you in that silo and you can't get out of it. And, and this is something that I know we're all still navigating post pandemic. And I was having this discussion at work about uh, an upcoming project. How do we do the open houses? And one of the comments was, well, we saw a much bigger success with online open houses instead of mm. people actually coming out. And I do see the benefit in that, you know, you come home, you're dinner, you're tired, you don't want to go to the open house. Mm -hmm. But then it's that ease and that lack of, lack of realizing the person on the other side is a person. And I've noticed it in myself because there are one or two people that I vehemently disagree with at work and mm -hmm. Uh, when I am on a call with them and they say something incorrect, I immediately spring in and I say, no, you are wrong. This is the clause. And if you would like to see the clause, I'll send you the link. Interesting. If I'm in a boardroom with them, I'm a little gentler. Like I'm not going to say you are wrong. I'm going to say, I don't think that that is the correct interpretation. Why don't we pull up the clause and review? Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I think there's still a dehumanizing aspect to the internet, especially for people our age yeah, who didn't necessarily grow up fully online. We all remember the joy of getting our first MySpace. We all remember selecting our GeoCities neighborhood and uh, <laughs> learning the rough HTML. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> and even now with, with the internet so seamlessly integrated with our lives, there's still right. a personalization to it. Yes. And inversely, when we were work from home, I don't think I have a sympathetic sounding voice or presentation, but there's something about me that a lot of my colleagues would call me out of the blue and just say, I need to vent, I need to unload. They would never turn mm. their camera on and I would sit there for half an hour and just listen to whatever was causing them pain. Wow. And they, even now, like we are in the office reasonably frequent, frequently, some of these people barely like that. It's almost like there was voice on the other end of the call, Donna, and then there's office still, never the twin shall meet. Whoa, that like, whoa, that's blowing my mind a little bit. What the fuck? No, that's weird. That's really weird. Huh. I don't I like I don't even know how to contextualize that. Just huh. Huh. It's it hmm. It hmm. <laughs> I it it feels very take advantage of me. I I don't feel exploitative. that way. That was the word I was looking for, exploitative. I think it's more an embarrassment on their part because they told mm. me things that they probably never would have otherwise because it it didn't feel real. So uh, like I definitely, one of my closest colleagues and, and somebody I would say is a personal friend is a guy that he was also in the office when I was. I could not stand working from home because it made me feel like there was no boundary in my life there was never a time when work wasn't there right and 
So I, I like going into the office. I like talking to people and getting out of my house and not having my cat scream when I'm on a phone call. <laughs> and you'll note they are locked out of the bedroom, which is why they're- That's fair. <laughs> and, and he's similar. Like he's also quite extroverted and we had some really good conversations and he's given me some good advice. He's been one of the people who throughout our time together over the last however long he's been with the company, uh, who has told me you don't have to do that no that's not your job no that person is a big boy he can take care of that as himself like why why do you think you need to take this on and Good. you know he's got very strong dad energy and i deeply appreciate it that's fair <laughs> um interesting i i am someone who doesn't want to leave the house <laughs> so like I also I feel um the opposite that you do like I will go out for social interactions not that I don't leave the house and but I just don't want to do it all the fucking time um so I I can't relate <laughs> I mean I don't care if somebody wants to work from home the only mm -hmm. thing that drives me crazy is when we're both in the office and either I set up a meeting in a meeting room and they call in from their desk or they just call me from their desk. And I'm like, I can literally see you across the room. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fucking weird. Um, I, I think, I, I don't know. I think I agree with you that there's this dehumanization thing that happens. It is not my direct experience of the internet. Um, but I know that it happens because I see people come at me who do this thing, but I, I think because of, and this, like, sometimes I hate sharing my weird little like isms and shit from my experience on the internet, because I know that what I have experienced is deeply unrelatable to a lot of people. And I feel like, eh, don't like, I feel bad because people sometimes react weird to me sharing these things what am I trying to say I'm trying to say like I don't want this to come off as like out of touch unrelatable and also that I'm bragging that I've had these experiences because the thing that makes me have this unique experience is because I have a weird following on the internet and like I have this niche little space that I have created for myself that you work hard on Work is work, Jacqueline. You do hard work to support the community you've built. Jesus Christ. Well, yes, but also sometimes it's like, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, it's a unique perspective to have and it's not exactly relatable, I guess, because it's not, it's not. Um, I also have, I don't know, I, I'm not finding social media right now allows me to cr cultivate what I want as far as a community anymore and it's really bumming me out and I I don't I have to find ways to like recreate that because I don't have it as much anymore um but anyway I really because I have had these experiences and because I am somebody who is a human on the internet who will often be treated like I am not a human on the internet, I'm acutely aware that everyone on the internet is a human on the internet, if that makes sense. Yes. So I, it, every time I'm interacting with someone on the internet, 
I, there's not this disconnect. I like, I can't relate to that disconnect, but I understand that it happens. If that makes sense. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Um, It's, I will get a lot. I get a lot of that treatment of like, people just think that I'm a content machine or whatever, or as we talked about before, trolls will come for me and they'll be spewing vitriol. But I also understand that then that's not about me. That's about something that my content has triggered within them. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, I can't, I get that it happens, but I can't fathom not understanding that I'm still dealing with a human. Well, look at you. You're emotionally realized. See, but this is the problem. <laughs> I didn't want to say it because that's the reaction I'll get. And I'm not trying to be like an asshole Oh, no. I, I mean, I, I, I said it in a sarcastic <laughs> way because we've been friends this long. Yes, I know. No, like, it's, it's, it is, you have had the unique experience of building mm-hmm. a community on the internet. And you understand what it's like to be either targeted by people who are lashing out for whatever reason, or people who simply lack the object permanence to understand that everyone else is like them. And uh, I, I don't know, I think we all had that moment around late toddlerhood where suddenly you're like, oh shit, like my, pe- my parents are human beings and like everyone else is a human being. Oh my God. Like, I don't know. Everyone else lives inside this big lumbering meat bag and has to figure it out. Is it toddlerhood? Like, I think just from like a cognitive development perspective, I think it happens later than toddlerhood, but yes. So I think my dinosaur phase started around age four and my parents would buy me age appropriate dinosaur books. But because uh, here's my humble brag. I was a voracious and early reader and quickly ran through the books that they got me. So I would uh, also be a shitlord of a child and would climb the bookshelves in the dining room and just pull out books to read at random. And one of my favorites, once I entered my dinosaur phase, and I do not read it, I'm not this, I'm not a prodigy or any of that shit, but I like Carl Sagan's Cosmos because it had all of the photos of the universe and all of the um, astronomy things which I tried to take in university but astronomy is a lot of math so I did not finish astronomy uh, but I definitely remember the the radical thought of oh my god other people exist I'm not the only person coinciding with me flipping through cosmos for like the end time because I liked the pictures and because it was on a lower shelf because it was a big heavy book so I didn't have to climb too high to get it I was also a kid who uh as a toddler managed to pull one of those old CRT TVs flat onto me and I am actually surprised when I'm not dead good god I'm glad you're not dead yeah I was a climber and I think now that I now my parents are probably really glad that I became a tall person because uh, I rapidly learned that I could not climb things because I was too tall and they would fall over on top of me. <laughs> Jesus. All right. So this learning other people exist. Do you remember 
like I appreciate that you know the exact moment it happened that's fucking wild I don't have that did it come with like what did it feel like it felt like a burden of responsibility because now I knew that I could make other people feel the way I felt oh fuck that's fucked up dude (laughs) (laughs) no but how did you feel though like I, 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 A, felt like the smartest kid in the world because it coincided with, what do you think the universe is inside of? Uh-huh. You know, like, astronomers haven't been thinking about this since the first time a Neanderthal looked at the sky. Right. And, and this, I think it's very much an ADHD thing, but maybe it's just an everyone thing. Um, later in life, by later in life, I mean, whenever the Truman Show came out, uh, I, of course, overthought the Truman Show. Because mm-hmm. I was like, that's how I feel. Like, I feel like I'm the main character, but not in a good way, not in a protagonist way. Just like a shitty thing that stuff is happening to. But I'm not interesting enough. Like, nothing interesting enough happens to me for me to be watched like the Truman Show. <laughs> Then I continued to overthink it. And then it was like, well, there's no way that if my life was the Truman Show, they would make the Truman Show and let me watch it. But then I was like, no, no, no. Like maybe that's the ultimate game. <laughs> well, but like, no, but that's <laughs> the, the, the ultimate game is, yeah, I saw the Truman Show because showing me the Truman Show proved to me that, you know, the powers that be trusted that I was smart enough to think that because the Truman Show existed, I wouldn't suspect that the Truman Show. So, like, this is the logic, like, this logic loop makes sense to me, especially because this is kind of the logic that, like, the people who are, like, super into the Illuminati follow, right? Like, they're, like, they're showing us what the Illuminati is in um, in media, so that they, oh, like, I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. No, I, no. I do, as a person who has loose fucking lips, never ever tell me a secret. Uh, <laughs> I think the general competence of the government is the general competence of the government. But, 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 what if they show you all the dumb stuff, the Iran Contras, the Pizza Gates, the Benghazis? Because if you think they are this incompetent, then they keep the real stuff under wraps. Don't sure. take that. Don't take that to heart. I literally think everybody's incompetent. Well, and like, okay, it's but but the the point I'm trying to make is that like this pattern, like it's pattern recognition, right? Like it's connecting these dots where maybe there aren't dots, but our brains are designed to do that. Like, especially an ADHD type brain that's looking for connections and connections and connections. When I get high, this is what happens to me. And it like brings, it bridges me so close to spiritual psychosis that I'm like, I got it. I can't anymore because I I will see how everything is connected in this like large, 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 large macro way 
that like if I continue to hold that perspective I'm fucked because I will not be functional because I'll just be seeing patterns in everything and I know this about me now and it's scary but it's so mm -hmm. you know this about me like I supplemented my income after I graduated and by supplemented I mean my primary income after I graduated was tarot reading yeah tarot reading is essentially just pattern recognition yeah and I still read and uh not not professionally but like I'll, I'll every time I mention it to a colleague they're like well you read my cards and yeah of course yeah boardroom we'll have lunch and, and I'll, I'll do it but uh it's pattern recognition mm -hmm. and I always always caveat this session belongs to you if you ever get uncomfortable you can walk away my interpretation is yours to take away i'm not interpreting your life i am giving you the interpretation of the cards and if that is meaningful to you then that's something that you have been asking for an answer for it is not god coming down from on high to intervene directly in your life mm -hmm. and uh usually the first question I get asked is, can you tell the future? And I'm like, no, no, I no, do not. This not is a tool to show. It is a tool that provides a spider web and you can decide whether or not you want to be caught in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's schematics. Like it is, it is a schematic spider web of, like thinking and connecting dots like ADHD brains especially are very fucking good at that like that's that's what we do um and it can be used as a bit of a superpower to make connections to like help you move through things but there also is a time where it can be overused right and then for me it bridges a fine line of like me going into spiritual psychosis I haven't gone that far with it but I know that I've walked a very fine line a couple times at least and so it's it can be over applied the the pattern recognitions and I know that part of my professional success has been my ADHD mm -hmm. when I tell people I have ADHD they're like you're a regulatory person you are one step down from a lawyer and I'm like actually I only consult lawyers when I know I'm right uh <laughs> nice <laughs> but, but but that is my power as a person who permits things that have never been permitted before is I read all of the regulations I pull out the relevant parts and then I go to the regulator and I say well in this regulation it says this in this regulation it says this ergo because my project is why it is subject to both of these and this is how we're going to do it yeah it's and it it when it is applied in like a grounded way and like a normal functioning way which is what you were doing but like yeah it's great it's great to be able to see those patterns and everything yeah except anyone else sees the executive dysfunction of waking up at three o'clock oh in the jesus morning fucking like, christ well this is my brain now so i guess i'm gonna go write an email yeah, it's uh there's that.
there's like and I'm not at all <laughs> touting ADHD is like a superpower I think that like when we go down that path it becomes extremely ableist um so so one of the things that I said to Jacqueline I don't know I don't know if I said it to you over text or oh, we saw each other we had dinner uh <laughs> So reading Road to Jonestown, the tagline, if you had to use just an overused tagline, you either die the hero or you see yourself become the villain. Mm -hmm. And had Jim Jones died in San Francisco, yeah, he would have been a hero. And I he think didn't. often with this idea that there's some sort of divergence within yourself, because I, I, I can't, I don't have. I took one psych course in university. I am not qualified nor competent to even further delve into whatever his deal was. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think part of the aspect of neurodivergence is you learn how to manipulate things in your favor. And you also learn like there's some things that are just insurmountable. So all of us, who have that divergence, like we have the hero in us, we have the villain in us. Right. And this was something like we talked about at the beginning. So aspects I've lost of myself, mm -hmm. and Jacqueline yes. knows this very well, I used to have a absolutely precise sense of direction. Mm -hmm. We could be lost anywhere in the city. And by lost, I mean just anywhere in the city, but I knew where we were. I knew where like the cardinal directions were, I could figure out a way to get home. I now get lost consistently. What? That's wild, dude. I don't need that. I don't need that overcorrection of like, you are yeah. here, you are here, you're fine. Uh -huh. And so because I don't have that overcorrection, uh, I will get lost. Even right. yesterday, we were driving home. Uh, we had to stop at the pet food store, and I moved over a lane on Deerfoot, and we were going to the pet food store. Well, okay. I was thinking about lunch, and Daryl was thinking about the pet food store. And I moved a lane over on Deerfoot, and right like as I was passing the exit, he says, Oh, the cat food. And I was like, What? What? Um, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, I thought you were, I, I was going to mention it to you, but you moved over. So I just assumed that you were going to go get cat food. And it's like, no, we were talking about lunch. You should have told me about this five minutes ago. Yeah. And my husband, who is totally normal, uh, he doesn't always think about this. And he he'll say things and this drives me crazy and I've told him not to do this I'm like you cannot ever ask me about something right when I'm about to go off in the exit you can't mm -hmm. do that and this happened to us uh in Canmore where I'm pretty sure I hurt our brake system oh, because shit. he just didn't tell me that the exit I needed was a left-hand turn onto the highway and so I like skidded out I basically did a fast and furious burnout to get us onto the highway oh shit but I need that direction. I cannot, I don't need to hyper remember how do I, I got to places anymore. And I need just like, 
a minute or so of direction. Yeah. And I was in, um, don't be jealous about my rock star lifestyle, <laughs> but I went up to Hinton County and Edmonton earlier this year in October with a couple colleagues and we were, they both had meetings. So I was just uh, essentially their den mother. I like got the fleet vehicle, which was a goddamn minivan, drove them up to site, had to spend all day in a meeting because shit happened. Then just picked them up, drove them to the hotel, drove them to the next site. But even though they knew the route, they just trusted that I knew what Google was talking about. And Google was about 500 meters behind on the satellite. So I actually had, I like overshot a couple of exits. Uh, I had to turn around. There was another exit that was like really weird and convoluted that I fucked up. And they were like, oh, like you, you used to be a good driver. And I'm like, I am still a good driver. Like I'm, I'm good at not getting people killed. But uh, I, I am relying on someone else to tell me where I'm going. And if Google is not up to date, then you need to step in two minutes uh -huh. before I do the thing just yeah. to make sure I do it right. This is fascinating. It's not, yeah, it's not something that used to be a thing. I, I think, I think though, it's good though. Yes. Yes. Would we classify this as a good thing? Even though like you just need to like have people on top of it, you know, it's, it's people, you need to just communicate. I need this from you as I do these things. Um, but I think it's good because you're not burning out your capacity by adding in this extra layer, you know? Yeah. Like the, the fact that you're no longer doing this is probably deeply healthy. Your, your brain is existing in the way that like, because we, we sometimes have these overarching like coping mechanisms almost in response to trauma, right? Like it's similar to masking in that you are putting out an extra like layer of capacity, not, not capacity, but like a layer of output to account for this thing like almost as if you have to right to survive it's a survival mechanism but like the fact that you don't have to do that anymore is really powerful honestly like it frees up your brain and your energy for other things yeah and and this trip so it was a two-day trip usually when I go out with colleagues or if I, I travel with colleagues I collapse after dinner we actually went out, we had fun. We had, I feel like I've improved and made relationships that I wouldn't have otherwise. And they had a great time. Nice, beautiful. That's great. Yeah, so end of the day, all I ask, if you know where we're going, just tell me. Yeah, okay. I mean, like duly noted. <laughs> it's, I, I think that that's really interesting that this is, something what else what else has are there other things that have kind of left you as like what you thought was part of your personality but it turns out that was a coping mechanism because this is fucking fascinating to me that is the biggest one um there 
the other one is kind of and I never knew if I had OCD and I still kind of suspect I do but not like the good one uh yeah like not the one where you just get all the shit done because you're paranoid that if you don't clean your house like the neighbor down the street will die uh right. the good one <laughs> uh-huh Hey, you know what? We take what we take. (laughs) (laughs) Uh I I definitely have noticed a lot more inertia. Uh, Even today, uh, my partner hurt his back last week. And so he hasn't been able to to bend down too deep. And uh, uh, I have to go empty the dishwasher. And I'm mad. Mm. Not mad, Mm -hmm. but I'm just annoyed because okay, I have to go empty the dishwasher again, which means I have to load the dishwasher. And I have made my own annoyance because there's dishes waiting to pile up. And so I'm essentially like playing a zero-sum game. And there Uh are aspects of things that I used to always be on top of Um, and take care of that now I'm just like, it's a zero-sum game. I am going to empty the dishwasher. I'm going to load the dishwasher. And the dishwasher will be full. So I'm going to wash it, which means by the time I put dinner in the oven, which is a lasagna from Costco, I'm then going to have to empty the dishwasher again. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I, I, I've never been the cleanest person, uh, or at least that's how my, and so this is another thing. My family's always said I've been a mess, but I think I've usually been pretty clean or like pretty exacting about when things need to be done and now it's not there anymore right um I'm gonna say something that's gonna come off as callous welcome to my life my dude (laughs) yay I know yeah we were roommates and I know that that was a point of contention because I was pretty anal yeah it's I I don't like my my house is a cluttery mess and it will never not be. And I've kind of accepted this thing. Um, Cause yeah, like I, there's two competing, well not competing, but two comorbid uh, elements to it. And I think it's the like executive dysfunction piece uh, where it's just, I can't like that inertia. I, I can't, I can't will my body to do a lot of things um and then the second piece is once I start um the trauma response kicks in because cleaning was under duress and it was under the guise of like I was never doing it right and instead of like actually like coaching me the assumption is that like you should be able to do it why didn't you do it right comes in grabs it to quote unquote show me, but there's a lot of yelling and there's a lot of like, I'm already disassociating because there's a culture of like yelling and protecting by disassociating. So like, I'm not present when this is happening. So I don't know how to do it. Right. You never taught me, you never gently decided like, Hey, Hey, that's not how we do it. So like I kick in and the moment I'm cleaning, it's like, Oh, this is dangerous. This is a very dangerous activity because that shit's coming down at any moment, man. So I'm, I'm, I have these two very real factors that come in me that like Paul and I 
have been talking and we just haven't put it in motion but we very slowly are finding ourselves looking at like how how are we going to do this how can we make this work so we do sometimes we do intervals tiny intervals and we just like allow me to like putter around with the cleaning tasks until all of a sudden my body shuts down because my body's going to shut down so like and hopefully you can increase that task next time by maybe five minutes but maybe I can't like I just kind of am, am giving myself the ability to like flow with it if that makes sense because like yeah, it hits, makes sense it hits me and like then I'm done then I'm like the moment the like trauma response fully kicks in it's like you're in it and it's like I'm disassociating my heart rate is up. I've got anxiety for no fucking reason, no traceable reason, except, oh, yes, I know why this is happening. And so then I, you know, do activities to try and like stim and reset my nervous system. But it's it's scary. Cleaning is scary for me. It, it is. I usually like I am all or nothing. So I know once I start cleaning today I will finish it I'm gonna be a little oblique on this mm -hmm. but uh, I have not had the best leadership in my job for the last year, couple years I've had good opportunities I yeah. appreciate the places that I have been allowed to enter into mm -hmm. I had a call with my new manager on a, a day earlier this week I can't recall which day but I had so much anxiety from him emailing me the day before and saying hey do you have time for a call this afternoon by the time I was able to respond it was around 4 30 and it's like I can give you a call but I have to go home and you know I probably won't be able to call you until five and he responded with okay let's have a call tomorrow morning how does 10 work I was at ball of nerves the entire night because I was like what did I do wrong he's gonna call me and I had to do like drug tests and all the all, all the clearance tests as one does for pre-employment but I was like what if my life is fight club and every night I get out of bed and I just like snort him out in the PCP I don't even know how people take PCP <laughs> and, and he's gonna call me and he's going to tell me, like, I am just inadequate. Like, there is nothing ever that I can do. I, I don't have an off-ramp. And the thing is, is the, in, the I had a leader who, again, she gave me a lot of opportunities. She also ripped me apart. And that's what I was expecting. And I remember making my list. And one of the things I put on my list is, this person is not going to do your annual review. And even when I went on vacation, I wrote a document. I had a very specific purpose for this document, which was largely to say, whatever decision you make, I don't really care because I don't care about the project. I care about the company decision. And this is what the company decision should be. And then we had two overlapping days when she came back. And one of the things she said to me, she's like, I rewrote it because I don't think I understood what the purpose was. And I was like, A, 
there was no purpose because I just told you I was writing it. B, one of the things she said to me was, I added some things you might not know about the Impact Assessment Act. And I was like, um, I am one of two or three dozen people in the country that you would talk to about the Impact Assessment Act. I have had third-party recruiter after third-party recruiter crawling up my ass for the last three years. And I finally made a decision to leave. Mm -hmm. And this was two days before I got offered my new job. And I just realized how much of my job is anticipating what she's going to do to me. And I have had shitty managers, but I've never had a manager where I go into my annual review or I go into a room and I'm like, what's wrong with me today? Workplace abuse is very real. Um, it happens so freakishly often, um, but we don't talk about it. Like this is what you were describing is workplace abuse. And it is akin to, and honestly, maybe the same as, but I can't really make that full judgment call. But it is, to me, it sounds like complex post-traumatic stress disorder. That is when instead of one giant incident where that's where the trauma comes from, it is consistent and like very measured events that just keep happening and they can be small. They can be so small and seem insignificant, but it is the consistency and the like, you have to, like I have CPTSD and that's from, because my mother, I, I was always anticipating how to navigate when she was going to blow up because she was and so you try to control your fucking environment right and so this is that this is you don't know when it's coming why it's coming but you know that it's fucking coming and so you are then always trying to circumvent the and like lessen the impact somehow so you have to control all of these factors to try and ensure that whatever thing comes at you isn't that like it isn't as big as it could be but you know it's coming yeah and I always knew things were not great but I will recall the day that I realized how fucked up it was it was in 2020 it was in 2020 y'all yeah. uh, I had made a plan for a component of a project we were working on and all I had been asked was make a plan and I wrote a plan. I had stuff we were going to do in it, how we were going to do it, when we were going to do it. And I was on a call with this woman and another engineer, and she ripped it apart. And she's like, that's not what I wanted. I wanted a table showing the people we were going to contact them and when. And I was like, so you wanted a record of engagement? And again, I got ripped apart for another half an hour, finally ended the meeting, and I was on video the whole time. Oh my and God. 
the engineer called me afterward. He's like, you must have ice flowing through your veins. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you just took that instead. And I was like, I was crying. I was crying on camera. Wow. And apparently I can hold it together enough and I buy good enough mascara that nobody knew. Fuck. And an engineer called me to tell me that. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> and, but it's, you're within this environment that, you know, you just have to survive through because like, this is, this is your job. This is your livelihood. And this is how abusers in the workplace get away with it because you just have to put up with it like similar to like you are a child and your parent is explosive you are in a survival situation where you just have to get through so you find ways and it is trying to control the environment um sometimes it's disassociation like it is it is complex trauma yeah there are whole periods of the end of 2020 to 2021 i don't remember yep because to get to survive through that situation which is connected again to your livelihood because this is your job you have to just check out the brain goes this shit is not safe so i'm out and you will you you're in your like your nervous system is so activated that you're in the parts of your brain are running that cannot like do not write memory you can't write memory there. So that's why you don't remember shit is because your nervous system was probably in hypervigilance, which is beyond the window of like normal functioning nervous system where your brain can actively write memories. Um, and so, yeah, no shit. You were in survival. You were in fight or flight, baby, for so much of that. And it's awful. And it's it is something that I think is a lot more rampant than we discuss ever because you know corporate culture da 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 um I can think of a situation in the um workplace that I just bounced from earlier this year where a colleague of mine was in the situation and I know that they are still now that they're in a different working environment they are um still dealing with the effects of complex trauma right and they are still having those moments of like oh my god even though this new workplace is really good for them and is a really good environment where they're actually like given the ability to like what you're going into actually help build the corporate culture um they're anticipating that every time they get called into the office into their boss's office they're fucking up they fucked up. It's about them. So there's this panic because it was always like that, no matter what in the situation that they came from. So it's, it's, it will take, unfortunately, years to unwind this sort of response because it is survival and it's, it's a natural mechanism of panic because you were in such a hostile environment prior to this. So it's going to continually come up for you for a little bit. And I'm so sorry to be the person to have to tell you this. It sucks. It's a bitch and a half. But you just have been in a very traumatic situation and you will have to. Like those effects are lasting, unfortunately. I got a therapist too. 
Yes, and thank God. Say this. Yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, but it's <laughs> and that's part of it. Yes, thank goodness. Find the support. Be in therapy because that's going to help. That's ultimately going to help you move through these survival mechanisms that that were necessary. That's the thing. They were necessary for the situation that you were in. But this situation you're about to go into, they may not. And let's let's hope to the powers that be that it is not necessary in the situation you're going into. Um, but there are always going to be tra- always going to be uh, challenges. So Certainly, I don't give that rosy perspective. But but uh, it's not. It should not be abuse. It absolutely should not be an abusive situation. And yeah, I fucking it better not be i'll come in and start beating people up no i'm not capable of that but <laughs> i i'm the i'm the leader now and yeah. so my job is to not be abusive and my job mm-hmm. is to make everybody feel heard and make everybody feel like they can do their best however their best is yeah and and to me like that's kind of the power that i'm bringing in is i've seen the other side and i've been the other side mm-hmm. and I have a lot of things that I don't want to bring into my new environment. And I really hope that I have the capacity and ability to choose a team that similarly wants to excel and doesn't bring any negativity or whatever negativity they bring in with them, they're willing to confront and challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm sorry that this happened. I know that like what a, what power do I have in this? But I like I just want you to know I am sorry. You don't deserve I, this. I think everyone is sorry. Yeah. And it's not like you know, once I started telling people I was leaving, it wasn't a uh actually it was quite nice. It was it was I'm so sad for myself to be losing you. Let me tell you my horror story. And I think I'm not leaving anyone behind or making enemies and I am not happy to have had this experience either but Mm. alternatively I've had really good positive experiences concurrently Mm -hmm. and I have a very solid metric of how I can and will behave yeah and working with somebody who is my age mm-hmm. and this man makes proclamations that are not commensurate with his capabilities mm-hmm. I would like to be a leader I'd like to be somebody who pulls people along with me and makes them better than I am like that's all I want is like sometimes I'm a shit lord if you can learn from my shit lordiness then that's awesome (laughs) and as crappy as it sounds or as like self-flagellating as it sounds I have had the experience of being victimized by my employer and you know me well enough to know that it's happened several times yep And I can bring that forward now that I have the capacity to be in a position of mentorship and leadership and uh, 
instead of being full of myself, like I've seen the other side. I've seen how bad it can go. So yeah. I am going to strip out the, the good parts. I am going to strip my experience for parts and I'm only taking the good ones. Everything else I can deal with and shelve and put back as needed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, I think it's probably time to wrap it up. I have some stories that I want to share, but like, we're back, baby. <laughs> we're back. And I would like to officially mean this episode. And it is the universe has no chill. Okay. I, we said there was one that I was actually going to name it that happened earlier on where it's like, not everyone's a mathematician. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. Also accurate. <laughs> oh, do you want to <laughs> wrestle? Just as in like that's the that's the title. Oh no, like that's how we determine the title. Oh through feats of strength. We're not in the same location, Tom. <laughs> I thought feats of strength is how we settled things. I've never done that because I know that I lose. <laughs> I have the upper body strength of a velociraptor. Yeah, but like I don't know. I'm not good at physical violence. <laughs> I've never been. <laughs> I, I, I totally made this up. Jack and I have never, ever come to hands. And if we did, it would be like when Harmony and Xander fought on Buffy. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. So we're back. I'll, I have some really stories that just did not fit the vibe today that I do want to tell I have a gross body story but like today's not the day next week probably Jacqueline hasn't even told me her gross body story so I'm waiting in eager anticipation yeah oh man it's good it's a good time (laughs) so it just we were really on a corporate culture kick so I was like I'm you know what I'm just gonna go with it that's the beauty of the podcast is we just we end up there's a flow to them right and I didn't want to disrupt that flow that episode I I had to delete I had to I didn't have flow so (laughs) all of our other episodes have had some sort of flow and I think maybe not overarching theme but there's there's through lines and so yeah that's it's good um as we are ending things for the day I would like to address donna jacqueline podcast.com we were hacked during the hiatus the server that um the podcast website was hosted on was hacked and so i actually have to rebuild it does exist still donna jacqueline podcast.com is a landing page it will probably link to the current episode but our backlog of like copious show notes for every episode prior to this one and this one is not there right now because I have to rebuild. Like I have to rewrite everything and find the pictures and the links. And some of the older episodes, I didn't say what I wanted to put in show notes in my little text document because I'm dumb. Um, most of, there's about 10 episodes where I'm going to have to fly by the seat of my pants to try and recall what the show notes need to be. And then there's 10 episodes that I do have <laughs> the show notes for that I just have to rewrite, but I haven't done it yet because it's a lot of work and I just got out of burnout and got to a point where I could even edit the podcast again. So DonnaJacklinPodcast.com, 
I want you to know that it still exists and I want you to visit it, but it's not in its full glory yet, but it will be, but it will be. Also, I'm just going to plug my felting. Do you want a fucking Pokemon made? I do the felting.com. I, I can also vouch for this because I bought a Katamari Prince and, uh, you know, I've got some weird ass art at my desk, but he gets some comments. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm very, I'm very excited that I'm making this like a legit fucking thing. And I like, I love doing it. I just bought this machine that is like a machine. It's a, it's a felting gun and it's coming from Russia. I know it's, it's some Etsy seller from Russia. Um, I know, I know. I didn't realize they were, but like they're, they're people I've followed online for a long time. They're just, they're a lovely couple that does felting. It, 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 it's more just wondering when it will come. Right? Um, it's, yeah, I don't know. I've been, the tracking stopped on October 10th. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> I, I will tell you this, not about the Russian felting couple, but, <laughs> uh, so I was out on Friday night for drinks with coworkers. And uh -huh. the other half of my floor is what I call an interchangeable group of white men with beards. Okay. Uh, they all work in the same industry. They all do the financial modeling. I talked to one of them for an hour and a half Thursday beforehand. And then when I said goodbye, name, I thought his name was. It was not that. Oh, it no. Oh, no. <gasps> it was. I was talking to the most senior of the senior interchangeable white men with beards. Oh, no. And we were out with like some people, some colleagues from out of, of country. And I sidled up to this guy and I was like, you don't know me. And he's like, Donna, I sit two desks away from you. And I drove you to the bar last Thursday. And I was like, oh, you shaved your beard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that's funny. I couldn't tell them apart. Like, I'm sorry if you are all kind of brunette guys with beards who are all you're all the same and like truly what do you expect of me i don't blame you no a man with a beard and a man without a beard looks very different it could be yeah. the same man but they don't look like the same man whatsoever so like i'm i'm with you <laughs> the other thing is he's like i administrate this like add-in that i use for powerpoint he's like you text me all the time that's like oh <gasps> I'm now one of those colleagues who sends a Teams message because I didn't know who you were. I thought your name was Patrick. I thought your name was Patrick until right now. Oh my God. <laughs> Goddamn. All right. <laughs> and on that note, eventually you can visit DonnaJacklinPodcast.com. Go to idothefelting.com and commission me to make you a Pokemon and or a cute little character. I Wait, don't I do people's reason that, Oh my god. Okay, okay. <laughs> the reason I had to finish this about I do the felting is every week <laughs> there's a new interchangeable bearded man who gets hired. And every time another interchangeable bearded man takes them to my desk as they're doing the introductions. Uh -huh. And he's like, this is Donna. Donna has weird art on her desk. And many of them had said, like, I play Katamari. That's cool. Shut up. Really? Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs>
I need to make more of the Katamari cousins. It's on my list. So that is the story of the interchangeable bearded men who play Katamari. Katamari. That's great. Like, I I did not realize that it was a trend within interchangeable bearded men, but there we go. Now we know. <laughs> you have a new demographic. Just, like, up, update your uh, Facebook ads or whatever it is you do. <laughs> I don't run ads, but yes. <laughs> I'm I'm solely uh, relying on um, just social media right now. My following on TikTok is slowly growing. Same with Instagram, but Instagram, oh man, one day we're going to get into my thoughts on the current state of social media. Uh, but uh, TikTok is growing faster than Instagram. <laughs> just start felting things with beards. No, that sounds dumb. That's <laughs> not fun. I should, I, <laughs> I people always want me to make their pets and I don't want to make their pets. I made my mother her fucking cats and I did them anime style and I still hated the process. I just want to make Pokemon or I don't even play Animal Crossing, but I love the character design and I've done a lot of Animal Crossing characters. I've made Sailor Moon. I've made Shiba Inus that look very cartoon like I've made Katamari characters. I just want to make anime anime style characters. No bearded men. If I yeah, if I've learned anything from my not very robust um, survey of people I look at, yes, just put beards on things and you'll be fine. Nah, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> oh, and Totoro's. I make Totoro's. A lot of Studio Ghibli things. Anyway, <laughs> I it would not be a thing that I could because going back to that ADHD thing, it's the dopamine. Like I'm able to like. The dopamine of felting for me is like, I'll get done one part of the piece and I'm like, oh man, this turned out so good. And it just like keeps fortifying me and like allowing me to keep going. But if I'm making something that I have no care about whatsoever, I like, I'm out. It's no fun for me anymore and I won't do it. Like I hated making my mom's cats. I hated that process so fucking much. I want to make Pokemon. You do you. I love my prince. I'm so glad. Yay. Maybe when the show notes come back, I'll have a photo of that on your desk. <laughs> yeah. Show notes for this episode. And then you then you guys can see the competing art. That's true. It's true. <laughs> it's good. I enjoy that art collection. All right. On that note, for reals, DonnaJackinPodcast.com. So I do the felting.com if you want to commission me or buy some of my pre-made felted Pokemon. Anyway, oh bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>